bonus edition of the In This Corner podcast with the Brian Campbell. This is the professional wrestling edition. And no, you are not getting the full intro. We save that for our regular weekly podcast. This is a bonus pod. You know, we were not going to do our instant analysis podcast, mostly because we have lives during football season and we're all very tired. But we had a sensational main event was it actually sensational or was the ending just sensational? We'll get to that in moments that forced our hands and made us react. So that coming up in moments, the Kevin Owens, Shane McMahon, Hell in a Cell main event and Sammy Zayn coming out at the very end. We will break it down in moments. But as I said, this is a bonus pod because we've got some interviews that Brian Campbell and I did, that Brian did solo. Brian, talk about them right now, the three interviews that will be coming up later on this bonus edition in this corner podcast. Yeah, interesting trio of sound here from some cool opportunities that we had. You'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll do a few things. Thanks to 2K18, the fine video game we did talk to, both Brizongo and Bobby Roode last week. Very good stuff there. And then Nick and I had a chance to really go at length with Sin Cara. And I know you're saying, well, Sin Cara, but you don't get these opportunities to really go this deep sometimes with the mid-card performers. So really interesting to, to hear the path for Sin Cara and what he has been up to, what he's been through, all of that. Good bonus sound to package with what Nick said, the reaction to a match at the end of a pay-per-view that really forces the old water cooler type of debate type thing in Nick based on what happened there. Talk about a swerve, right? Yes, and this is, again, the bonus pod in this corner. Handsome Nick Costos, the Brian Campbell, the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, all with you about to break it down. So, Brian, without further ado, hit us with your thoughts. Main event, Hell in a Cell, Kevin Owens, Shane McMahon, with Sami Zayn running in at the end to give the victory to his old buddy, Kevin Owens. Well, certainly a lot to talk to, talk about right here, Nick, on a really a show that I didn't think was all that great, that I didn't think that was all that newsworthy, right? Really good Usos New Day match. Maybe that's your feud of the year like we've teased the last few weeks. Show pretty average from that point on. Obviously, the main event, what we set up there, I love, I love, of course, Nick, the Sami Zayn heel turn because it's something you didn't see coming. It's a total... You think he turned heel? Well, let me get to that. I'm not convinced that it is. It's a total swerve ball. And it may not be, right? There's scenarios where you can write that where Sami Zayn just so badly wants a piece of KO and he's so upset at his current lot with the WWE in terms of booking that, you know, maybe you can not write this in as a full heel turn. But let me say this. That's why we're now excited for SmackDown Live. And that's why this ultimately worked. Because it's a cliffhanger. And I know I love to play the sound. The cliffhanger moment. It was a cliffhanger moment for sure. Because it gets you talking for the next 48 hours. And it gets you Usually needing. it's only my voice that does that. So I like when other people's voices do that too. I appreciate oh, it. Oh, absolutely. I mean, not only did he win, did he lose it. As Nick once famously said. But... <laughs> It got you talking and it got you to care about what's coming next. So, Nick, that is where it's a victory. You, of all the people who you could have guessed were turning heel right now, Sami Zayn was not one of them. But I have problems with the theatrics of the main event. All right. Of course, KO was pulled off the table by Sami Zayn to allow Are you Shane... about to steal my take? Are you about to steal my take? Because we talked a little earlier. Is this going to be an outright theft here, Repo Man style of my take that I was going to give? There has which been is some... Scorching Hot, by the way, and 100% correct. There has been some B. Campbell Scorching Hot takes. But if you did re- read my recap last night, if you were a part of any text messages between me and the Silver King or DMs, which none of you were, I know that. But my take is ultimately this. 
I don't need to see 48 or 49-year-old Shane McMahon, whatever he is, do these kind of spots in an October pay-per-view. And Nick, my biggest problem with him once again jumping through the table is that's a WrestleMania spot. By doing it now and by doing it in a spot where it wasn't needed to tell the story of the, of the odd Sami Zayn heel turn. You didn't need Shane to jump 30 feet off a cage through a table. You know what that did? It watered down the impact of what it meant at WrestleMania 32 in Dallas against The Undertaker. How death-defying it really was in reality. I don't care if there's an airbag in that table the first time or not. It really is a death-defying stunt. Nick, I feel like it watered it down, though, to see that a second time around. It felt gratuitous. Yeah, I think there's a lot for us to dig into with this match, and I'm going to go ahead and say it right off the bat. I didn't like the match. I thought the match itself was bad, and and I'll be honest. I watched zero minutes of Hell in a Cell until the main event. I work all day NFL Sundays for CBS. Came home, watching a little bit of my New York Yankees, me and the Silver King representing, of course, the greatest franchise in the history of professional sports, watching the Sunday night game, but still able to catch the main event because how could I miss it? I thought the match was awful. Like, I thought it was pretty bad. That's a like, little too harsh. All right, all right. That's a little bit too harsh on awful, Nick. But I mean, I mean, for your your opinion, it's it, it's it's it, it might be too harsh. Not in but my the opinion. paint. Okay, the paint bad, by numbers is your best it wasn't point. Good. Your best point is the paint by numbers. Flesh that out. Yeah, I mean, I'll tell you why it was bad because you're expecting to see something else than what this was, or maybe that was my mistake. Look, maybe I expected something a little different. In the end, what was it? It was two blood rivals beating the hell out of each other in very slow, plotting and methodical fashion, building up towards this spot at the end. I'll tell you what, man, I hated it when both of them were on the cage. I hated when KO was teasing that he was going to jump off the cage through the table because here's where I'm at at this point in my life. Look, maybe you're listening and maybe you're super bloodthirsty and you want to see broken bones and you want to see cartilage and you want to see sinew and you want to see all this crap and people risking their lives for your entertainment. I don't need that at this point in my life. And I'm not judging or talking down to anybody. I didn't want to see Kevin Owens jump off of the cell because I was genuinely worried that A, Shane was going to get really hurt, or B, Kevin Owens was going to get really hurt. So that did nothing for me. The stuff with them on top of the cell was okay, except for the fact that it went on entirely too long. And look, I give Corey Graves a ton of props, right? I think he's a great commentator, guys. Corey Graves, the entire match he's talking about, this is really dangerous. Someone's going to get hurt. Someone needs to get in there and stop this. Well, then why didn't someone get in there and stop this? I thought it was a commentary fail in this match as well. I didn't think just the match failed. I thought the commentary failed. And I'll tell you where they really lost me, which is where they're both climbing down the cell after being on top of the cell for what felt like an absolute eternity, 15 hours on top of the cell, taking bumps on top of it. And they're kicking each other while they're climbing down. I felt like I was at Cirque de Soleil with one of my Latina girls from South Florida <laughs> at the B&T Center where the Florida Panthers play. I mean, really? Like, it was so overly choreographed. Like, really? It was like two kids at Discovery Zone playing on the, the freaking obstacle or whatever the hell it is. It was just, it was bad. But with all of that said, the match stunk. It was too choreographed. It felt like Cirque du Soleil. I thought the ending was pretty good. Well, it was. And it, it actually, and it actually, it actually all right. saved the entire Let thing. me pull out one point you made there about the paint by numbers. And it came down to I this. I know you like to pull out. They, I mean, I mean, come on, you know, you know, you know what I do, big yeah, big dog. But what I'm saying about that is, look, it put you in a precarious spot when you're watching this because for it to be better than it was, you fall into what you said, Nick. Is they're going to have to do something bigger, right? Bigger than the first time Shane jumped off the fence. I don't want to see Shane 
or KO in that spot. You want to do something ridiculous with like Lince Dorado or Neville doing some moonsault off the cage? We may end up getting to that point, but do that at WrestleMania. Do that with a different athlete. So because you don't want to see that, because it's starting to test your own levels of are they going too far, if they don't do that, it's automatically going to feel not good enough because you know what it started to feel like when they were just trading punches on the top of the cage? It kind of started to feel like a WCW 1980s Skywalker scaffolding match, which was always really dangerous and always got you feeling like, oh, this is going to be awesome. And then it was kick, punch, kick, punch for a half hour on top and nothing really happened. And guess what? If anything was going to happen, it would have been ECW and somebody would have died. So you're in a tough spot and maybe these aren't the two guys to do that. And maybe... And And that's the inherent problem, I think, with a Hell in the Cell pay-per-view, right? Unless you're going to do, like, what they did with the tag match, which I didn't watch, but everyone said was great, that you're going to do a straight-up match, basically, with Hell in the Cell as the backdrop, where you involve the Cell in the match, not going on top of the Cell and all this, the insanity and and the overly choreographed nonsense that follows. And, you know, Silver King for the pay-per-view rewind, when he he made us watch Bad Blood, I don't say made us because it was a pleasure to watch it. 20th anniversary, a pleasure. Like, Like, how can you watch that Hell in a Cell match and then come and watch this one? And it's not fair to compare it because Michaels is the greatest of all time and Taker's one of the greatest of all time. I like KO. I don't think he's on that level. So it's not an apples-to-apples comparison. But when you watch that and you watch this, it's just like, eh. Like, they're trying to sell pay-per-views, right? And I'm not going to be a hypocrite because I said I had no problem with what they did at No Mercy last month. I get it from the business perspective. I get it. And, and ultimately, at the end of the day, I walked away satisfied because I liked the ending. But the match itself, I thought, was All right, before we get to that ending, positive. and based on what you just said there, this, to me, this ending, so the, the setup to the ending summed up what Shane McMahon ultimately is. It's almost a little gratuitous at times. Shane McMahon tries fine, so hard to justify not being the, the, the owner's son, right? To justify being different, being better than that, that he gratuitously adds things to matches. It got him a concussion against Survivor, Survivor Series last year. Sometimes, like at WrestleMania this year with AJ, when they toned it down a little bit, it was perfect. This felt like Shane McMahon trying to play his greatest hits for the sake of it, and it was a problem. It sort of summed up his character, and his real-life persona. To make up for the fact that he's not a real wrestler, his character does crazy, psychotic things. And it's almost like, as a real person and a performer, to try to constantly prove that this is his legacy and he's good enough, he adds things to matches that may not need to be there. Silver King, settle the score for us. We're both a little bit disappointed. Are we missing anything on underrating what those two guys gave in there, being a little bit sore that Shane kind of went back to the well too quickly with this spot? I think there's good points and bad points. I think Nick's taking it a little too far saying it's terrible. What I will agree with, though, is it was a 20 to 25 minute match that was forced into being a 40 minute match. This is not a major pay-per-view. And it ran until 1130, 1140, something like that. Who's on- got time for that during football season? Like, who, who needs that? 1130, like, they, get the hell out of here. Are they booking pay-per-views around Sunday night football and, pay- and playoff baseball? Like, what are they doing with that now? So... For me, and I said this, guys, in the preview podcast, once they made it false count anywhere, they kind of gave away. They didn't give away the finish because no one expected the Sami Zayn stuff, but they kind of gave away, like, there's going to be a, something off the either the side or the top of the cell, and there's going to be a pinfall probably on a table or something like that. And guess what? That's exactly what happened. I, I, th- I thought the entire match was a missed opportunity to put KO over strong with a clean win. And we got to give Hulk Hogan credit here, guys. He put Vince McMahon over on Twitter and said, Great job, Vince, you know, selling all the way out. 
uh, 4KO. Shane, you need to do the same thing now. And they didn't do it. And if anyone should have been the one doing it, it should have been Shane. So I don't know. And, and by the way, they make it a false count anywhere match. And this was my biggest sticking point. Mike Chioda, get your ass to the top of the cell. If it's false <laughs> count anywhere, I want to see pin opportunities on the top of the cell. Hey, Why hey. not? If you're going to go up there, do it. Like, go all the way and do it. But Nick was right. They were up there right, too you, long. You may have made the best the point. Thing, so and you may have made the best point about KO should have been the one going over on this night. He was the psychotic one you built up this whole time. He got to beat up Vince McMahon. And now it's ultimately, guess what? It's Shane who really went over. Shane who really went over because he gets to do the big spot that we talk about. But look, it's the same spot. And now, guess what? He's 0 for 2 on hitting an elbow from the top. So maybe his character and his real person, like... No, it's but not who, the... who, who cares, though? Like, he doesn't have to. It's not real life. He didn't have to hit it. Like, like the, the point is that, that he jumped off the cell. Not that he hit it or didn't hit it. Who cares that he hit or didn't hit it? The point is that he jumped off the cell. That's the thing. And, and here's where I disagree. And let's see what they do on Tuesday night on SmackDown Live. And, Brian, you're right. That's part of the intrigue of why this and why I think they ultimately won is because we're wondering what the hell's going to happen here. Let's see what happens on Tuesday night with Sami Zayn and Kevin Owens, if they blow it or if it's really good. And now let's move on to the end. Of well, it. hold on. Now One more thing I want to hit. Did you think there was any tease in the storytelling of KO not being able to come off the top of the cage on Shane earlier in that match when he was looking down and twice he tried to amp up and dive onto Shane who was on the table below and his character... His inside wouldn't let him. Is he not the psychotic heel that we all think he is and love he is? Or is there a, now a limit to what he's willing to do? And that's what opened the need for Sami Zayn? That's what I'm a little mostly confused on as we enter into this discussion with Sami. See, for me, it's basically, it's, you know, it's the fact that Kevin Owens, I think he's selfish in that moment. And it's not that he didn't want to hurt Shane McMahon. It's that he's like, I don't want to do this because I don't want to hurt myself. That's, that's. I think it's that Shane's crazier than he is. Shane is more willing to hurt himself, and Owens is more of a calculated badass than Shane McMahon, who's just throw caution to the wind. I'm going to jump off the highest possible thing because that's what I do. So that's where that's how I took it. But I mean, I guess you could sort of go a different way with it. But that's where I was going with it. Was Owens was like, you know what? I'm not doing this, not because I don't want to hurt Shane McMahon, but because I don't want to hurt myself. So I actually thought that was an interesting layer to the Kevin Owens character. I, I felt the same way. I didn't think it was cowardice. I thought it was him being strategic and saying, if I do this, I'm going to put myself out the rest of the match. Uh, you know, there's millions of dollars behind me. There's future title runs. Like, his character isn't thinking, like, let me make a big splash in that moment. He's thinking, how do I survive and how do I be the biggest badass I can be? And I totally agree with Nick, 100%. All right, Nick, to Excellent. unwrap the impact of Sami Zayn and this, uh, this surprising change in character... Nick, we may have to go back to our own In This Corner interview with KO last week for a little bit of foreshadowing. For anybody that may not remember, we asked KO two specific questions about Sammy. One about why the chemistry so good, and then Nick came in with a question basically on... Should I'm going to Barry Horowitz myself here. I'm going to pat myself on the back. It was a really outstanding question. Without me, none of this exists. You're welcome. Saying, <laughs> should Sammy be getting more from WWE? Here's a splice condensation of his answers on this specific Zane question. You tell me if they're foreshadowing anything. Sometimes you have chemistry with people that is undeniable, and it just works. And sometimes you have... People where you think, uh, man, those guys would have great chemistry or you have great matches, and it just doesn't work out that way. 
Uh, Sammy and I have obviously, uh, it's the latter case for us. We've known each other for uh, over 15 years, uh, or just about 15 years, actually. And, uh, you know, we've been friends, we've been enemies, we've been at each other's throats, we've been uh, by each other's side, we've done it all. We've, every kind of match is imaginable, we've been in pretty much, except maybe the odd Hell in the South, for example. Um, but, you know, we put each other through a lot, and we've been there for each other through a lot. So uh, I think that just translates into good chemistry a lot of times. I don't think anybody deserves anything more than what they get, uh, because I think everybody gets what they deserve in the first place. I'm not saying Sammy doesn't deserve a bigger role. I'm saying Sammy will get a bigger role eventually. You see what I mean? I think a lot of people deserve a bigger role, but I don't think that that's being taken away from them on purpose or unconsciously. I think everybody will get to where they need to get. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, that's just what I believe. Uh, some people might disagree strongly, and that's okay. Uh, I've never been one to be too concerned about my uh, my popularity and, uh, you know, amongst the my coworkers or anything like that. I just, I am who I am, and that's just the way it is. So I think Sammy will get his when it's time. And uh, if you're truly as good as, as you think you are, I'm not saying Sammy particularly, I'm just saying everybody, uh, you'll get to where you think you belong, I think. That's what that's the outlook I've always taken, and I've been doing pretty well for myself. So. There you have it, Nick. What do you think? Um, I think that, he, A, it's obvious that he knew what was going to happen, and, B, I think it speaks to his brilliance. And I, I stress this after – the interview when we talked, and I stressed this on the regular pod last week, KO is brilliant. And I'm not, I don't just mean Kevin Owens, the performer. I'm talking Kevin Steen, the human being, the man. Um, he knew what was going to happen. Obviously, he knew that that was going to be the finish. He gave us a little bit of fourth. I actually missed the part when he mentioned the odd hell in a cell. And you mentioned you could hear in his inflection in his voice that he meant that as if to be like, hey, morons. Guess what's coming up later this week that none of you seem to know about that I'm about to drop on you like a sack of potatoes. That was pretty cool. And then his answer, which we kind of in the moment were like, did he got to bash Sami Zayn with that answer? And you get it now why he answered it the way that he did, because he knew what was going to happen. And that's just freaking awesome. And again, without me, none of this is possible. You're all welcome. I mean, without you, none of this is possible. But we thought he was a genius after that interview. Now the guys, the guys, I mean, now there's Easter eggs in his, in his regular, you know, responses to questions. Now I got to go back and kind of decode to find the cheat codes, right? No, and that's the uh, Konami, B-A-B-A, up, up, down, up, down, left, right, left, right, whatever, start, whatever the hell it is. That was awesome stuff from Kevin. And it was honestly was the first thing I thought about when it happened was, and that was a great interview with Kevin Owens and absolutely loved that stuff on Sami Zayn. So let's unpack this here, the Sami Zayn involvement here, Bri. You think it's a heel turn? I do not. We'll get the Silver King's take in just a moment. But, Bri, your initial reaction after after when you realized it was Zayn that pulled Owens off the table, Owens winning, and then Zayn sort of looking cryptically into the camera and helping KO walk away as the show faded to black. I mean, certainly I believe it's a heel turn. You're led to believe that. I did lay out in the beginning, you know, could it just be frustration? He wants KO so bad. He wants him for himself. He doesn't want Shane to be the one that ruins him. I don't think they're going that route because I think now in both NXT and on the main roster, a couple of times, they've already told the same story, which is Sammy is so nice of a guy. He may not have that true hunger and fight in him to get over the top and not just be another contender. He doesn't have the evil 
level or maybe extra level toughness in him to be a true title winner and compete on this level. I'm hoping, I'm led to believe that this is a heel turn based off of frustration. And guys, if it leads to a duo, a pairing, a tag team, maybe even something bigger, a faction, could you not be more excited at this moment? Everything I said bad about Shane being gratuitous, I bury that underground along with Undertaker and the Ultimate Thrill Ride because this could be awesome. Yeah, I think that um, that Sami Zayn at this point now, I don't know what's going to happen. Could it be that Sami Zayn is dastardly now? I, I, I honestly don't know where it's going, and I think it could go in one of several different directions. If I had to guess... I think that KO keeps his heel persona, and this is maybe Sami Zayn's way of sort of saying, you know what, the nice guy route didn't work out for me, and maybe it's a slow burn towards a heel turn for Sami because I just don't think he's a natural heel. So I'm curious to see how this kind of develops. I think it'll obviously lead the show off, and I I, I think that if it leads to an increase of Sami Zayn in ring with guys like AJ Styles, etc., now that the U.S. championship belt is off AJ Styles, um, this is going to be a home run, man. And I think regardless of how it turns out, if Zayn's a heel or a face, this means more involvement for Sami Zayn and Silver King. I think we can all agree that that is a positive because we've all sort of been pining for that because we recognize how good of a performer Sami Zayn is. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaning more towards Nick's side here of it possibly being a slow burn. But I come, I came away from it, you know, like I want it to be a heel turn. We want it to be a drastic change in character. I, I'm worried that it might just be hey, guys, I'm such a nice guy, and I saw my best friend of 15 years was about to get really, really hurt, and I wouldn't be a good person if I didn't save him from having a, a 47-year-old man fall 20 feet onto him. <laughs> so I pulled him off, and, you know, too bad you don't like that, but I'll, I'll defend Kevin Owens even if I've hated him my whole life, like, for the last five years. Are you, are you that, booking for Eugene right now, or are you booking for Sami Zayn? <laughs> That's just kind of, like, where I'm concerned it's going, and maybe then, you know, he eventually realizes, well, since I teamed up with him, everyone hates me now, and... I don't have a choice. Um, but what I do think, no matter which way it goes, Nick's way, my way, BC, your, your way, um, no matter what happens, I hope, as I kind of d- discussed on that last pod, maybe this is that beginning towards, you know, if they have to team up before they can split apart again. So maybe this is the beginning of that potential feud where KO eventually wins the title and puts Sammy over. They come together, they split up, whatever. So that's my biggest hope for this entire thing. I'm going to tell you why, Adam. I think it's going to be the latter, the last thing that you said, and not the former where they're going to blow it. And, Bri, I almost want you to play the audio again, but people should just go back and listen to it or listen to last week. The answer that Kevin Owens gave, they know what they're doing here. Like, this was not something that they did haphazardly and say, okay, like, okay, now in the aftermath, the pay-per-view's over. Now what are we doing on Tuesday night or what are we doing going forward? They know what they're doing here. And you can make the argument that they've known what they're doing here. And God knows how long they've known, because they've certainly known for quite some time. Did they know that this was absolutely the direction? A couple weeks ago, when Owens and Zayn main evented SmackDown, and Owens powerbombed him onto the ring apron, and he got taken out. Um, you know, and I had that rant that I went on p- pissing all over it, because we've seen it a million times before. I think that answer that KO gave told you that they're building to something. And that this is going to be Sammy Zayn's moment and KO knew that when he answered the question he was careful not to come out and say yeah his moment is coming because if he said that he sort of ruins it and we're all like oh wow what the hell is going to happen that would have ruined it he was purposefully vague but he also gave you enough there's enough in there in that answer that we can dig out and uncover and that's why we do these damn interviews to give you nuggets of information like that 
that I think that they know where this is going. And I'm going to call my shot right now, Silver King. I'm calling my shot. And you served up the uh, the pitch to me here, so I can't take full credit for it. Kevin Owens, Sami Zayn, WrestleMania. And I think this is a build until then. Let's go. And it's going to be awesome when it happens. Now, will it be KO's title? It could be for the title. I think that'd be pretty badass if it, because there's no way that Jinder is going to have the belt at that. Maybe they do Nakamura AJ at that point, and maybe it's just an Owens Zane grudge match. But I think, Brian, that they are going to build towards a WrestleMania match between these two. But here's the bigger question Is that WrestleMania match going to be KO versus Sami Zayn? Or KO versus El Generico, and I say that because now Sami Zayn is dastardly. And sometimes, not everybody, right? Like Roman Reigns allowed to attempt vehicular mass, you know, manslaughter and be on the show next week with no police intervention. But sometimes when people do dastardly things, they get in trouble under the kayfabe rules of the WWE. What if Zayn gets so in trouble for dastardly moves, he gets thrown out of the WWE and Midnight Rider Dusty Rhodes style returns as El Generico. And that's how we see that match eventually take shape. Either way, this is KO grabbing his best buddy up by the bootstraps and he laid out in that sound we played about how deep they go together in history and how they've been there for each other and saying, I'm going to take you up on my level. I wouldn't doubt if KO was the guy behind the scenes trying to make this happen because he knows nobody makes him look better than Sami Zayn, not even AJ Styles. And you can take that to the bank. And I'm talking about the blood bank. You know where I'm going with that. Yeah, all Seagal fans out there. Come on, come on now. I don't know if you might. You might have been going to the sperm bank. I'm not really no, hey. sure, to be honest here. So so that's our – got some se- – yes, there you go. Now, that is our wrap-up of um, Hell in the Cell, our instant analysis. By instant, we mean almost 24 hours after the fact. But, again, our hands were forced. But this is how much we care about you. We did it anyway. So there you go. You are welcome. Bri, take us into these interviews that, that you and I both conducted. You and I with Cara, you separately with Bobby Roode and Breezango. Take it away. Yeah, and a throw into these, and something I want to talk to you guys about real quick before we get there, is I had an incredible opportunity provided by WWE 2K18, the video game that, of course, is coming out right in time, right, for Christmas season, just like every year. The game's incredible. They sent journalists to Norwalk, Connecticut, to a nondescript warehouse, right? One town over from WWE headquarters. And what that warehouse is, every pro wrestling fan's dream. It's the WWE archives. And in the past, you may have seen a digital show WWE did with Ben Brown, who is on Twitter at WWE Archivist, the guy who runs the show there, and Joey Styles. They used to do that online back in the day. It's this giant warehouse that has everything ever that the WWE or WCW or any other territory that they bought has ever used ever. And that was the site for this opportunity to play the 2K18 game, to meet the developers, to play the game with Bobby Roode and Brizongo, which was pretty incredible. But guys, I saw some things that I was told not to take pictures of. I saw and heard some things that I was told not to repeat. So there's only so much I can say. But I saw some crazy things. I put some of those pictures out there on social media the day after. Remember when Roman Reigns was on that gurney, guys, and, and uh, Braun Strowman flipped him off the back loading dock? I saw the body bag. With the, with the dummy in there, with the fake beard and Roman Reigns uh, shirt on, which is just like almost seeing too much behind the curtain. Like my biggest criticism, by the way, of that Owens-Shane match was we saw too much behind the curtain. We saw the holes in the cage that they climbed up on. We saw the extra padding on the table that Shane jumped through. It was like a little too much behind the curtain. This was maybe seen a little bit too much. But they showed me the shield that the original shield were supposed to debut with. It was a shield, Nick, that said on the front of it, The Shield. 
It was about well, this, as cheesy. That's like remember, like remember, like in Mick Foley's first book when he said that his first gimmick was going to be what Mason the Mauler or something like that, and they showed him like the first iteration of what it would eventually become the Mankind character, and it was like Foley's thinking like, oh my god, like my career is over right now. There's probably so many little nuggets like that in wrestling history, WWFE history, that people have not seen that they would just go nuts for so they should do a show just on this back room because you're walking through and there's a box of trombones that xavier woods pulls from right there's another there's a box of gimmicks for everything there's an area with like 32 coffins and each one has a story and there it was either flamed out right they're in the build to wrestlemania 30 of taker lesnar or there's another one with a, a, a hole in it from gold dust head being rammed against there's all that kind of stuff then there's a case of guitars that say gimmick guitars on them with a sticker that says slap nuts left over from the Jeff WCW Jeff Jarrett era. There's cool things like the WrestleMania one ring, the original ring from Madison Square Garden. Nick, I took a picture next to a roller coaster, the ultimate thrill ride from this year's WrestleMania that was ended up not being used that they created. And it spurned this discussion, guys, that archivist Ben Brown did talk to me about. I want to get your take on this, guys. All this gold is sitting in there. Is there a space for wrestling fans that this should go to? Should we be seeing maybe in Orlando near the home of NXT a WWE theme park slash museum where all these artifacts can go and there's roller coaster rides taking you through wrestling history? Is this who something? Who the hell would say no to this? Like, who would say no to that? Like, it... Silver King, you're the ultimate contrarian. Obviously, you would love to do that, right? Hall of Fame and a uh, museum in one. Like, it needs to be everything in one building, an ultimate destination for WWE fans. It would be awesome, right? Like, it would be the, like we would go there. It would be w- amazing. WWE's international. There are people that would travel there for it. I mean, they already have the performance center. They already do NXT there. They basically are going to go every four or five years for WrestleMania, probably. Why would you not do it? So they have just these warehouses full of stuff. You see this stuff come out, by the way, at WrestleMania, right? When you go to fan access, all the banners hanging, all the old artifacts, they pull it out. They got to find a home from this because everything in this space has a story. Paul Bearer passed away. His entire storage locker from somewhere in Texas was delivered there, and they're just going through it, and there's just, like, unbelievable golden artifacts. I got to tell you, buddy, I kind of hate you that you got to do this, and I didn't. It's kind of like uh, yeah. a little annoying, little, little yeah. annoying that you got to do this, and uh, me and the Silver King didn't. Yeah. It, I was a blessed person that day because there's there was – I mean, sure. there's just – I could go on and on, but I hope – that, yeah, I'll bet you could. Yeah, just keep rubbing it in all of our faces. I, yeah, I'll put my That's hand funny. right in your feel spot and just rub that around. Uh, in the end, I just want to say that WWE is sitting on a gold mine that fans everywhere would pay money to just see, hear the stories of touch, be a part of, hey, WWE, make this happen, all right? Because somewhere in Norwalk, Connecticut, in some random warehouse is basically things that people would pay. Like, if the company's ever in trouble again, Nick, this is what I told the archivist. If the company's ever in trouble, if we're ever back in like 1993 again and you're in court for ICO Pro, just sell everything inside of there because every chair that's sitting around, I actually tried to sit on this busted chair. They go, no, don't sit on that. You want to know why? That's the one that The Undertaker hit Roman Reigns with in the main event of WrestleMania, right? Some guy by the so ring awesome. just grabbed it and they autographed it and put it there. So that's my little take on that. Thank you to 2K18 for the opportunity, for Ben Brown, the archivist. Let's throw yeah, to thanks, our- 2K18. Yeah, thanks a lot, 2K18. We had a great time really appreciate it guys that was great me and the silver king really enjoyed it thank you awesome and uh by the way playing uh 2k18 with bobby Roode as i'm picking michael hayes coming out to the sportatorium there are options in this year's game that you do not want to miss let's hear it in order brizongo bobby Roode, and Sincara. enjoy the in this corner podcast on cbs is on location today 
We're, we're playing WWE 2K18 with Brizongo right here. Fellas, it's a pleasure to have you here. First thoughts, when you when you pick up the controllers and sit down at this game, what do you think? I'm thinking how good I look in the game. What about you, Breeze? Well, yeah, I mean, it's the first year. My arms look really, really jacked this year. First year as cops, dude. Sexy cops. First year as the fashion police. We're not just cops. We're sexy cops. All right, all right. Did they capture the, the you know, the police look? Did, they, did, they, was it, did it pass your test on that? Yeah, we actually just sat down and uh, we, we had a little match ski uh, against each other. each other. And uh, I, I think they really captured the uh, the cop uh, the cop outfits really well this year. I was telling Breeze how, uh, how awesome it looked. What's the process like for you guys? Do you get motion captured, I guess is the terminology? Do you go through that to get your exact look and shape and move and feel? You know what, actually, we we don't. Uh, somebody somebody does it for us, and they did uh, basically a spot-on job, man. Like, uh, it, it's like watching yourself in there. It's kind of really cool to see. Yeah, actually, when we were in, when I was in developmental probably seven or eight years ago, we would actually do the motion caption for the video game. So there's actually crew guys out in probably, you know, I think, L.A. that will put on the uh, the suits with the balls on them and yeah. kind of uh, mimic our entrances and our mannerisms. They aced it, man. And uh, like Reese was just saying, they these guys are really good. They really got our entrance down perfect. We were just watching our entrance as the uh, the sexy cops and uh, the fashion police, and it's just they nailed it it's cool. dead on. So. Uh, good job, guys, and mo mocap out there. Yeah, very good. All right, I want to be honest. I want to file this gimmick, the sexy cops, under something that <laughs> we didn't know if it would work. And I say we, meaning the fans, the critics, the journalists. The yep. universe. And holy crap, you guys hit a home run. I don't have to puff your pillow. You know that. I don't what want to was... toot my own horn, but <laughs> well, toot, toot. toot, toot. Is there, was there any fear or any misgivings when you step into something so unknown can you pull this off well it depends man because you know it's it's kind of the same with any idea don't wow, wow. you can't see this right now but it's, uh breeze has a it's fashionable most most zippers go you know this from 12 o'clock to six o'clock but this has his goes from 2 a.m not i'll go right to, no? it's pretty fashionable actually we're in a warehouse here. i don't need you a ticket for asking that though. Though. keep going i'm sorry um what were we saying what were you saying we were talking oh, about the fashion police. Yeah. yeah, so really when, uh, you know, any idea or any character or anybody, you know, anytime that you get an opportunity, uh, it's a 50-50 chance, whether it works or whether it doesn't. And uh, it's kind of on you in the end, you know, it's kind of on you who's uh, out there in front of the world uh, every week and, you know, kind of proving whether you, uh, you put everything you have into it or whether you just kind of go, you know what, I want to try something else. And me and Dango both just kind of said, hey, let's, you know, this can work. Let's make it work. And, Any, uh, anything worth doing is worth doing right, right, Breeze? Exactly. So, you know. Well, uh, when's the moment you guys knew you had something, that you had it? Well, you know, Breeze wasn't really doing anything at the time. I wasn't on TV. So um, you take two guys that are kind of just sitting on the bench and, uh, you know, we came up with the idea and, and we kind of knew that we had to embrace it. Because if the, the, the audience, the WWE Universe, doesn't really, uh, they, if they see that you're not embracing it, you're not really into it, um, they're going to see through it and they're not going to get with it. I think uh, I think we really embraced it and uh, well, had thing. fun with it. I think when they see we're having fun, they're having fun. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And that's the thing too is, you know, especially SmackDown Live uh, and kind of the whole WWE in general has such a detailed roster that, you know, there's only so many minutes on every week. 
And if you're doing something that you don't believe in, uh, you know, like Dango said, nobody's going to believe in it, and yeah. somebody else is talented enough and is going to be able to fill that spot for you. So you kind of have to, you know, prove your worth here. Because I've been doing the, the free Tyler Briggs hashtag on Twitter for, yeah. for, you know, a year now saying, let's put this guy in, you know, he can work, he can sell, he can do great things. Well, you might have indirectly found something that's great here, and, and totally I give you guys did. a lot of credit for that. We totally did, and that was, uh, you know, we were just kind of paired together as two guys who weren't doing anything, and... Uh, we just kind of stumbled upon something that's really fun for us and really fun for the audience, and you know, hopefully everybody keeps. All right. Learning. When you pick up 2K18, one of the cool parts is I can play Tyler Breeze and Fandango against each other, which teases the idea that eventually all good things come to an end. And, and, and uh, I mean, you guys can hey, you guys hey. can, can prepare I on the. I see video. what he's yeah. trying to do here. No, don't drive away. I'm not trying to drive away. We're just trying to have a friendly right? conversation. We're just talking here. about how good talking we're doing, how good of friends we are. It's a good day at the office. We're, you know, we're playing video games. We don't need to be talking about splitting up. Yeah, right man. Now. You know, I got my hair cut it's recently in, in the barber shop. I saw the window. I just thought of it. No, no, we're not. We we don't even like to think about that. Okay, I would be Sean in that situation. No, yay. Hey, don't buy into uh, it. Don't buy into it. I mean, you got to think about it. Yeah. At least you got to think about it. You know, which one it. of you, Sean, which one of you is Marty? I mean, well, it's a thought. Dangle's you know? already got it figured out. No, no, no. Hey, don't. Well, See you, you fell right doing? into the trap, no, dude. I'm just, I'm just joking. Better be. All right, the best part of your gimmick, and I hope they capture it on 218. I don't know if, if you're going to have the room with the bulletin board, but the bulletin board might be the best thing that's ever happened I to know. you guys, maybe to wrestling. Yeah. How much of an input do you have on that? You know, this week's joke on Tony Chimmel. Let me let me, let me scribble that in. How much of an input do you guys this, have? This week or every week on Chimmel? Yeah. Uh, I think Chimmel's <laughs> off the board, though. He's finally, we booted we, him. We, got we the booted him. The, uh, the executive call from uh, the higher-ups that Chimmel's off the board. There yeah. you go. He's out. Um, His face was taking up too much room on the board. Takes up too much everything. Sorry, Tony. Um, yeah, the thing is, man, like, the whole Fashion Files kind of office uh, is kind of like this little, it's like this little, almost an insider Easter egg. Like, oh, it's you amazing. almost, as stuff's happening, you have to be rewinding and watching and like, oh, man, did you see what they have posted there? I gotta text my friends to, f I missed that joke. What does it mean, I, you know? I'm telling you, people yeah. love it. It's kind of layers on top of layers, and that's yeah. the thing is they'll watch it back and go, man, I missed that the first time, but it's kind of funny that they had this kind of layered in there. All right, let me get, as we close here, guys, your, we asked 2K18, you can play fantasy. I mean, I'm downloading, you know, uh, 1988 Sting, the Surfer yeah, Sting, my yeah. favorite. If you guys play this game together, I just watched you do that. If you guys are going to pick a tag team that might remind yourself of you guys from history or that you can go up against, you try to see I, in a simulation, can you take them? Who are you guys picking here? I think I saw, is Rock and Roll Express downloadable now? I think I think I saw that. It might have been on there. I we think, didn't even I get think they the, announced it as the DLC. The roster. The oh, you're right. You're yes. right. They just announced it as so, DLC. Uh, you know, we're pretty rock and roll ourselves, but if I was to compare us and our style to anyone, I would go with like Earthquake and Typhoon. <laughs> wow, that's a great very, John, John very, Tenta. You know? <laughs> right? Very similar looks. Similar looks, some, styles, similar in ring sizes. Uh, styles. Sexy cop. Yeah. They, they were sexy cop and Jace with the whole. They know, were they were a police officer hat away from being the fashion police before yeah. us. Good call, man. Well, yeah. this has been maybe the highlight of my week talking here to to, to yeah, Brizongo, two K eighteen, the clothes guys. How does it get any better than this? And it, in this case, not not taking Chris Jericho's gimmick. Yeah. It is this creative run that you have gave, that you guys have been on. How do you get even better and move, push the chains even further from this? I mean, me and Dango have been talking about it. We're very busy with all of our cases that need closing. You know, so much stuff to do. But I think that we could probably squeeze some SmackDown Live tag team titles into our uh, busy yeah. schedule. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. You don't know? No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. 
And by the, by the way, we had Roman on this podcast just last week. He gave you credit and FCW for firming up his backbone by saying if you can't, you know, if you can't go out there and tie pants and not feel embarrassed, then maybe, you know, maybe this business isn't. Yeah, I'm paraphrasing, yeah. but he gives you that credit, yeah, Mango, for yeah. making him how built, tough he is today. I built his confidence up and made him everything he is today. <laughs> I hope no, those royalty kidding, checks are coming in for that. Rizango, thank you so much. Thanks, bro. Enjoy. I'm enjoying you. I'm going to go stand in front of the fan because I'm, I'm a little sweaty. Little, little, yes, a little, 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 little warm sweaty here. satchel in here, if you will. You know? <laughs> Great talking to you guys. Best awesome. of luck. In the Thanks, man. Always great to get to talk to you with CBS Sports on our podcast for 2K18 today, Bobby. Talk to me first about your video game experience. Going back today as a person, you kind of got to get hands on with this. You know what? I've, I've never been a really huge, you know, video game guy. But when you uh, when you see yourself on a video game like this, like uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty surreal, you know. So you got to sit down and take the take the opportunity and. Uh, and play this video game. It's it's unbelievable. We were just sitting here and, and watching the, the, the this Tokyo Super Show, which is unbelievable. WCW just, 1992. I yeah. mean, it takes me back. Right? And, it, and it's just the attention to detail is just unbelievable. I know that there's a culture in video games. A lot of guys travel, right? AJ Styles talks about it all the time. Is that what is your? If it's not video games for you on the road, what is your sort of blow off mechanism in that in that regard? Well, I know in the SmackDown locker room, they, uh, there's a lot of video gaming going on. So. A lot of times you'll just sit back and be entertained by uh, by watching the guys play. So, um, yeah, I mean, video games is a huge part of uh, of our business now, and it, it passes the time. And you know, when you're at an arena for uh, a few hours before a show, or you have some time to kill after you have to check out of a hotel, that's I mean, that's what the guys do now. It's it's, uh, it's fun to see. So, when a game like 2K18 comes out, there's a lot of buzz for it. What's your interest level, and you see this a lot with Madden or in the NBA, to find out what you're rated A and find out how, you know, how well they captured you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was, the anticipation was that for sure. You know, I wasn't sure. You know, obviously being a part of the NXT brand when the, the game was being developed, I didn't know, uh, you know, ranking-wise or whatnot or how, uh, you know, the attention to detail would be, but it's amazing. And, and uh, it's, it's a... To see, the, you know, on that note, to see the NXT roster being, you know, represented the way it is, and the cruiserweight division, and just the game this year by far, uh, I think, goes away any other game that, that they've had in the past. What did you think about how they captured your look from the from the from the robe, from the song to the entrance? Tell me about the first time seeing that. I mean, it's almost bang on. I mean, it really is. I, I had a chance just to sit and watch the uh, the entire entrance. Uh, I was upstairs, and they had Tyler Breeze and I going to have a match on the video game, and. Uh, you know, it was it was it was you know pretty much dead on. You know, the whole the whole entrance in the song and um, yeah, it's like I said, it's just to sit back and see yourself on a video game as a character is surreal. How important do you think you know a franchise like Two K can be for creating new wrestling fans? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, video games are such a huge thing in this day and age, and you know, you have a casual wrestling fan or a, 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 maybe a, somebody a gamer that never really got into wrestling before or sports entertainment and they get this game or their friend has this game and they sit down and try it, I mean, maybe they'll turn into a Bobby Roode fan. You know, maybe they'll turn into an AJ Styles fan or, a, you know, a Roman Reigns fan. You know? It's just, um, you know, there's an, always that opportunity. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm going to be honest with you, I never was a huge football fan, but then I started to play Madden. And, uh, you know, I, I, I got familiar with the, with the players and, and uh, familiar with the teams. And, you know, next thing I knew that Sunday, I was sitting down watching 
watching the game, so that's, that opportunity is there for sure. There's always, when you're talking about video games, it becomes fantasy, it becomes dream matchups. For me, I got a chance to sample the 2K18 game right away. I'm putting it in the world-class championship wrestling arena in Dallas in the 1980s. I got Michael PSAs. Yeah. What are, what, what's the kind of dream match for you and your wrestling character when you sit down in the video game and you're wondering, hmm, I wonder what it would look like for me against that guy? Well, the first name that comes to mind would be Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. And uh, we would probably go back to his, his prime, you know, back when he was Intercontinental Champion, maybe having an Intercontinental Championship match. Um, that's probably something I would, that I, would uh, that I am going to do, let's put it that way. I think it might be pretty cool. Get it, maybe get a little picture on my camera with it and send it out. Like Kurt, are you from Minnesota as well? No, I'm not. I'm Canadian. I'm from Toronto. So, But, uh, you know, I grew up, um, you know, a huge wrestling fan. And obviously, he was one of those guys that, you know, brought my attention to this business and, and, and made me want to become a so growing up for me in Connecticut, I had access to so many territories. AWA was one of them yeah. through ESPN. I've always sort of made the case, and tell me if I'm wrong, we love the Mr. Perfect character. It's incredible. Yeah. May have been the best work of his career, but yeah. him as a heel on top in AWA, yeah. you remember those days? Yeah, he was incredible. Course. Yeah, it was great. Uh, I actually have, so when I got into the business, I, I started to study a lot of guys, and Kurt was the, the guy that I studied. So as a gift, I got... Um, eight-pack uh, DVDs of all of Kurt's stuff when he first started in the AWA with his dad, you know, right up until uh, his, his WWE days. So, um, yeah, I mean, he was a, he was just an amazing uh, an amazing athlete, an amazing worker, and definitely my favorite of all time. You on, as we record this, you were on SmackDown just last night. Yeah. That's a pretty quick turnaround. You know, that, gotta, that's the yeah, life, though, right? It is the life, and it's, you know, get to come here and do fun stuff like this, it's, it's worth it, you know? We had uh, myself and Tyler and... Uh, and Dongo over there, we um, had a red eye last night from Phoenix, got in this morning, got a little nap, and then here we are here playing some video games, so it's pretty cool. Finally, Bobby, you make the, the debut now on SmackDown, you're on the main roster. Little slight tweak to your character, I almost get a, a more of a babyface feel this time yeah. compared with the, the swagger maybe you carried on NXT. How different has it been for you? Uh, I mean, it's, 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 it's different. I mean, everything is different, but it's part of the business. It evolves and you change and... Um, you know, I don't know if I've lost my swagger. I think I've gotten maybe a little more happy. You know, obviously, uh, being a part of SmackDown is a great thing, and there's a lot of guys in that locker room that I'm looking forward to getting in the ring with. So, uh, you know, coming up, we got um, Hell in a Cell in a couple weeks. Dolph Ziggler and I are going to uh, do our thing, and I'm, I'm looking forward to doing that. So and We've had um, fun seeing him dress up in different yeah. different gimmicks. Yeah. If he comes out in a glorious robe, though, and tries to, you know... Well, I'm, he uh, may uh, take that a little too far. So yeah. we'll, we'll see what happens, <laughs> but I'm uh, really looking forward to that. Great talking to you about 2K18, and best of luck moving forward, Bob. Thank you very much. We are back with the In This Corner podcast on CBSSports.com. Ready to welcome in a guy I've been wanting to talk to you for many years now, Sin Cara, in connection here with a really cool project that WWE, Foot Locker, and Reebok are doing October 13th. We'll drop the latest Reebok Classic WWE footwear and apparel collection, this time honoring the late, great WWE star Eddie Guerrero, a Mexican-American wrestling icon, also from El Paso, Texas, which is where Sin Cara originally hails from. Tell us about this collection and getting to be a part of this project. Well, it's an amazing experience, to be honest. Is uh, Me as a little kid growing up and watching Eddie Guerrero uh, you know, wrestle where he started back in uh, El Paso, Ciudad Juarez, is great to see him now being honored you know, in this way. So for me, it's a great honor to be able to be part of this great project with Reebok and Food Locker. And I can, I can say enough, you know, about it. I, I feel blessed. I'm very happy, very excited. I think the fans are going to love the, the, pro, the project, the t-shirts, the, the Sincara shoes. So it's going to be, it's going to be awesome. 
Yeah, as part of this collection, which will honor Mexican heritage, Lucha Libre. This is Mexican, uh, you know, month to, to really look back on that. And there's a hand-drawn T of Eddie in the iconic image when he became the first ever Latino wrestler to win the WWE Heavyweight Championship that the, all the listeners out there definitely need to see. Did you ever cross paths with Eddie, you know, being from the same city? When, when was the first connection or, or realization of what kind of star he was for you? Well, I, we never we never actually met in person, but I I saw him wrestle many times. You know, uh, as a little kid growing up in, in La Frontera in Ciudad Juarez del Paso, I used to go watch him wrestle. You know, he was like one of the most popular guys as I was growing up, and uh, it was just amazing to see him. You know, grow as a professional, and and throughout the years, I used to remember that I, I used to watch mo- mostly was Lucha Libre, but then when when Eddie and all those guys uh, did the tr- transition into uh, WCW and then WWE it was one for us. It was one of those things that that we started watching more and more. We wanted to learn more about what they were doing in in, in this big company, you know. And then when he when he became a world champion in 2004, that's when we all realized that you know that anything was possible. So that's I remember as, as a young man uh, watching that moment and, and living through it. It was one of those things that that I was like very proud of being where where I was from, you know, especially from El Paso being from Hispanic heritage that, that no matter where you came from, you could achieve anything. So he did, you know, so it was one of those things that motivated us to, to do what we do. And I've been uh, in love with wrestling since I was a little kid. So you can't imagine just me watching that moment and living through it. It was awesome. The scene Cara, we're excited to talk to you about your career and stuff that you've got going on. But I, I have to ask one question about Eddie. And I'm sure it was sort of similar for you, right? When when Eddie went to WCW with Rey Mysterio and Juventud Guerrera and Psychosis in the mid '90s, and sort of changed wrestling, like for lack of a better term, and brought that the high flying aerial stuff into the business that hadn't necessarily been there in the past. And I think back on some of Eddie's, and obviously Eddie's run in WWE is tremendous. As you guys said, the first Latino heavyweight champion. I remember Eddie really though as a as a cruiserweight in WCW. That was my first exposure to him and his match at Uncensored 97 against Dean Malenko, one of the best wrestling matches that I've ever seen in my entire life. And I remember being so captivated by Eddie, whether he was a good guy or a bad guy in WCW with with the really smarmy heel theme music that was absolutely tremendous. Can you sort of go back to that time, Eddie in WCW as a cruiserweight, and that whole era of the cruiserweights in WCW, and whether or not that inspired you and the performer that you are today? Yeah, definitely. That was one of those things that motivated us that, that as a as a young man, you know, I'm only 5'10", 200 pounds. You know, you, you, you get to wrestle with guys that are 6'5", 280 pounds, 250, and sometimes you don't you don't think that uh, you're going to be able to, you know, come out alive out of those matches. And I think for us, when, when I was growing up watching Eddie, watching Hoovy, all those guys do the, the, their thing, it was amazing, you know, because then you realize that, that – uh, no matter what size you were, no matter you know where you came from or the ability that you had, you could you could have a a little you know space in in the card. And and the funny thing about this is that uh, uh, through the years I've I've known that uh, they used to put the, like the cruiserweights or Eddie and all those guys in the beginning of the shows because the, they didn't want to uh, the guys that were in the main event to be overshined by those guys. So so it was funny because they were those guys that were they started, they started wrestling you know as cruiserweights or as lightweights later became the stars of, uh, of WWE. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and we do a pay-per-view rewind segment on this show, and we just recently broke down that, that great Eddie match versus Rey Mysterio Jr. title 
versus Mask. That, of course, was at Halloween Havoc 1997. So a lot of great memories. Eddie, of course, posthumously inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 2006. A great career in life. Sin Cara, you've also had a very interesting career and the different variations of the characters and the journey of where you are today. I want to just ask you, first and foremost, representing that luchador style. We love to get a little inside baseball here. What's it like to wrestle inside a mask? How difficult is that, especially a closed mask like you currently uh, employ? It's it's a it's, to be honest, it's a little it's a little difficult. It's a, it's a test every time I get into the ring. You know, I I was talking to some, some some friends of mine, and and sometimes people don't realize you know how intricate certain things that that I have to do before a match. You know, I I usually tend to get to the arena a little early and, and check out the lighting at the arenas because. My mask, like if, if there's a reflector in my eyes, I can't really see much. So it's one of those things that, that you have to get used to it. You have to feel comfortable. And, and in my case, you know, being being under a mask is I feel at home. You know, when when I did uh, wrestle for a couple of years without a mask, it was it was I felt like out of place. To be honest, I felt that it wasn't me. I felt out of my element. And and getting back in the mask, I just feel like and like a superhero, like another person. It's it's part of who I am. It's part of my persona and. And I love, you know, having that part of of, uh, of my life in in a sense that privacy. You know, when I when I travel or when I go to certain places, people don't really know who I am. You know, because I've I've wrestled with a mask for many years now. Again, so it's funny like when they ask me sometimes when I'm traveling, like, what do you do for WWE? I'm like, oh, I'm a camera guy, or <laughs> something else. <laughs> people just like they, you know, they have they have that doubt a little bit, you know, because they're like, yeah, whatever, but they don't say anything. So that's that's a good thing. I can have a I have I can have my my private life, you know, in a sense when I'm home with my kids and my family, uh, uh, I'm 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 me, you know, I'm a father. I'm not I'm not like some of those guys that have to deal with, you know, with all that stuff, all that fame all the time. Do you think that that's a big difference in Cara between almost Mexican wrestling culture and American wrestling culture? Because here it's like football players wear helmets. They're not as easily recognizable and you hear football players often bemoan that fact like they want to be recognized the way NBA players are recognized and you sort of go the other way with that. And I think that that's fascinating that you feel more at home behind the mask, not having your face out there. And I think that's a very American thing, right? Right, wrong or indifferent that Americans want to be seen. They want to be known. But you kind of go the other way. Do you think that that's sort of the difference in the two cultures, whether it's wrestling or just culture in general, Mexico versus the United States? I I think so. In my case, you know, I can only speak for myself, but I look at I every time I put the mask on I feel like a superhero you know and and it's my job and that's what I do and I love what I do but I also want to have a normal life you know and and for me being able to go back home and just be me it's, it's a great feeling so I think I have a little bit of both worlds and which is awesome you know I don't have to worry about people stalking me or <laughs> or taking <laughs> pictures of me you know when I'm home and things like that you know because it happens but for me I love it I love being able to have those those I guess personas in a way and and but Sincara has a lot of, of who I am as a person also you know which is just pretty crazy but then and but when I'm home and I'm just me I'm just, I'm just a dad you know it's one of those things that, that as a young man growing up in, in, in Mexico it was part of our culture wearing a mask you know like the Aztec warriors they used to do that they used to when they used to get in war they used to, in battle they used to wear like a mask like a jaguar mask a, an eagle mask and things like that that would make I guess it would make that transition into becoming warriors and in a sense when I put the mask on I just feel like a whole different person and and I'm ready to go you know give the people a great show well you mentioned Sankar that you're just a dad I'm just a dad too I happen to have twin sons who are wrestling fanatics one of them 
He's been a Sakara fanatic since day one. I'm sure you have. You see that a lot, that effect that your character, that your wrestling style has on, on specifically the young fans. So I want to get into sort of how you became Sankara because it's an interesting journey that you went through. A lot of people knew you as Hunako for a while. A lot of people know you weren't the original Sankara, but it launched with kind of an interesting gimmick back in 2011 where you came in as Sankara Negro going up against the original one. You had a little bit of a feud there. Can you take me back there on how that all started and how important it was for you to get that opportunity to go behind the mask with WWE at the very beginning. Well, I'm going to go a little further than that, just so you guys know a little bit of the backstory about all this. The Cincara Negro and Cincara Azul. Uh, I rest. I debuted in November of '99 in Ciudad Juarez under the name of Mystico. I was the original Mystico in Mexico. So then, uh, a few years later. I was new to the business. I never registered the name. A company in Mexico registered the name and gave it to the guy that became Sincara here for the first time. <laughs> so it was, it was one of those. And then he became popular and, you know, fame. He did all kinds of stuff. Then I got signed with WWE. Then he got signed. And the name Sincara was actually for him, you know. And that's where uh, everything started. He he was Sincara. He came here, you know, they make a big press conference, all kinds of stuff. The Mexican sensation, you, you name it. We came here, and then a couple of months later, he got suspended. That's when I, that's when I came in as asking Azul for the first time, you know, being on the road, and people didn't really notice a difference. Back back in that day, I didn't have a, you know, a lot of tattoos. I had a little less tattoos than what I have now. So I ended up doing that for 30, 30 days. He came back, and then the company uh, got the idea of, of making us feud, you know, because I told I, I spoke with. Some of the people I spoke with, a hunter, and I told him the story that that had happened when I was in Mexico. So that's where they got the idea from doing the the two sincaras, and then he ended up keeping the name. And then I was out for a little bit because I uh, had an injury, tore my ACL, so I was out for almost a year. And then all of a sudden, one day, I just got a call, you know, and they asked me if I wanted to take over the sincara character, and I was like, yes, you know, it's one of those things that uh, you know, a lot of things went through my mind, you know, a lot of things that I uh, struggled throughout the years, you know, because it wasn't easy being able to, you know, let let something go, especially something that belonged to you, you know, the mystical name belonged to me, but I had to let it go because there was a lot of things that, that went around it, you know, money-wise and legal stuff, and I didn't have the means to get a lawyer to, to fight, fight the name, so I ended up letting it go, but then again, at the end of the day, you know, God gave me what was mine, you know, so it, it was a great feeling, and I've been seeing God for almost five years now, and I feel blessed, you know, people love what I do and, and I feel, you know, loved by, by, by my fans. So it's awesome to see those kids when I go to a wrestling show and, and have a smile or, or they want to take a picture with you or they have your mask or, you know, they want they just want to touch you. It, it makes me, you know, mo- motivates me to keep going and do what I do. I could kind of hear the pain in your voice while you were sort of going through that scene, Cara, those times that you had, those tough times. And I'm very happy now because you can hear also, conversely, the happiness in your voice with the stuff that you're doing now. And it's clearly something that's fulfilling for you, which is, which is awesome. But can you take us back to those times, some of those dark moments that you had? Because like I said, I could actually feel it in your voice and it kind of struck me there a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. You can, it's, it's, it's still, I still live it in, in a way, you know, it's one of those memories that, that it's hard to, to overcome. But then again, like I wouldn't, if I was born again, I wouldn't change anything about what has happened in my life because that, that has led me to where I am now. So it's one of those, you know, great stories. At the end of the day, you know, I was able to succeed in, in doing what I love. But there, I went through a lot. You know, there was a lot of uh, doors that closed, you know, because there was a lot of promoters that didn't want to book me because 
the the company in Mexico would send certain wrestlers to a, to certain cities with promoters, and they would tell me, "If you book this kid from Juarez, we're not gonna send our people for your show." So obviously, they wouldn't book me, you know. And and a lot of things like that happened. I a lot of things went through my mind. A lot of things. I even said, I remember that saying to some some family members that I I, I think wrestling is not for me, you know. Uh, maybe another cutoff for this and things like that, you know. A lot of doubt. A lot of things went through my mind, but. I was like, if I have a dream, the name's not gonna, you know, determine who I am. So I, I ended up wrestling at under a different name for a while as Incognito, in AAA, and then I went to wrestle for independent companies in the United States. And then I started getting noticed. So it was, it was a blessing to be able to just, you know, let, let, let it go and and just keep going forward. And I think thinking about the past. Um, you mentioned AAA. There are other promotions in Mexico as well. And our listeners on this podcast are, are huge wrestling fans. I don't know how many of them have been exposed to Mexican wrestling, specifically the crowds in Mexican wrestling. It's sort of such a different, unbelievable experience, right? When you see the Mexican yeah. crowd at, at, at these promotions, can you sort of break down for our listeners the difference necessarily? It doesn't necessarily mean good or bad, one's good or one bad, between a Mexican wrestling crowd and an American wrestling crowd. Well, I think that uh, Latinos in general, are, we're more vocal in a, in a sense. You know, we, we go to shows and we just try and get everything out. If we have something that we feel, we just say it. And I think that's a, that's the way that the Mexican crowds are. Every time that I used to wrestle there, they would just scream all scream all kinds of stuff. You know, even even the 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 old ladies and and the kids, everybody just goes goes nuts. You know, they they cheer and they they cry. I've seen like the mass versus mass matches where, where, you know, where somebody loses and people just are crying, you know, they can't believe that the, their wrestler that they, uh, they love lost the mass. So it, it, it is a lot of at stake in the sense, you know, a little, I think for us, like, especially with the mask and the hair versus hair matches, we, there's a little more uh, at stake because you're, you're putting your career on the line. And, and I think a, a lot of the people that they go watch wrestling in Mexico, tend to become very attached to to a lot of us and because they watch us, you know, when since when we start when we started. So as a performer it's it's been a it's been kinda of crazy, you know, watching all kinds of crowds all over the world and, and getting to know all kinds of people. But in general I I gotta say that the the fans of, of Lucha Libre and the fans of wrestling are are in in a way the same, you know. Sankar, you had a unique, there's a lot of unique aspects to your career, right? The fact that you're so well known today for being under a mask, yet you came off a run in WWE as Hunico where you were unmasked originally as Sankara and you transitioned into yeah. a new character and it was, it was out in the open. It was part of the storyline. When you look back at that run as Hunico, and I, man, I love the gimmick. I loved you coming out on the bicycle. I love the, the Vatos Locos stable and the theme song and all that. Yeah. Was, was that a fun period in your career? Was it an odd transitional? Where were you at mentally? going through that trying to make your way i think for me it was, it was a lot of fun i was in that mindset of making the most out of you know the opportunity so i never looked at it in a bad way i think for me it was one of those uh moments that i can look back and say that i enjoyed doing doing that you know Unico was a very unique persona you know a very unique character especially because i grew up uh in el segundo barrio you know in, in el paso texas it was a the, the rough neighborhood it wasn't easy so i grew up around you know a lot of my cousins were like dressed like that and 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 even me you know as as i was growing up i wanted to be like a little gangster like a little cholo like a little badass in, in a way so uh so, had a lot of, of 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 me also in in a sense but uh 
obviously I'm I'm glad that uh I'm now Sin Cara, and then everything has worked out. <laughs> How did the, the did the community where you grew up in take that character, Hunico? They loved it. You know, I, a lot of people that I spoke with, and even even when I became Hunico, I I lived. I, that's how I would fly. You know, I would fly with Dickies and and Cortez on and a white T-shirt. You know, and it was funny because I I used to travel a lot, and and people would just look at me like kind of weird, like, "Why well, is this gangster in first class, or why well, is this guy?" You know, like. Have a have a nice pair of shoes or oh, things like that, but it was it was I was I was trying to live like my character, you know. I've always been a, a believer in that, and and for me, it was, it was one of those times that it was awesome. You know, the bike that that I used to uh, come out with with Camacho is uh, right now it's at the performance center in Orlando. But uh, I spoke with with the hunter, and I'm gonna take it home. You know, it's it's far up where I am, and I want to take it home, and I'm gonna ride it. Hopefully, when I get it <laughs> to my house. <laughs> It seems like, Sinkara, that you really enjoy sort of the juxtaposition between your character and real life. Like you've mentioned a couple times now, you like being under the mask, right? Because then people ask you, what do you do? You get to say, I'm a cameraman or, or, or you don't get recognized. You, like, you yeah. like the juxtaposition of flying first class dressed like a gangster, right? Like so people look at you and they're like, oh, like, like what, what's the situation the deal with this here? Is that something that, that you've always sort of gravitated for? Almost not fooling people because that sounds like malicious intent and I'm not saying that's what it is at all. But it sounds like you sort of really enjoy that sort of becoming someone you aren't, having someone think that you are something, someone that you are not. Yeah, they, you can never judge a book by its cover. That's what they say. You know, it's funny because I'm, I'm, I'm tattooed and some people, when they don't know me and, and when they see me for the first time, it's like they think that I'm this mean guy or that, you know, I'm somebody that I'm not. But it, it's funny that once they start talking to me, they, they know that I can have a conversation when, with anybody. You know, I, I went to college. I, I'm not a wrestler because I'm a, that was my only option. You know, I studied theology. I studied uh, business administration. I'm a funeral director. I'm an embalmer also. So, you know, I did some stuff throughout my throughout my life, but uh, my passion was always wrestling. So it's funny to be able to, you know, sometimes, in, in like you were saying, in, in a way, fool people because they think you're a certain a certain type of person, and then you're not. You're totally the opposite. They think that I listen to like rap music all, all the time, even when I work out, and it's not. You know, I listen to like soft music when I work out, which is pretty crazy. Can you please, because that was an amazing answer that you just gave and just revealed like a lot, like you're clearly like a, a multi-layered person with varied interests, which I always think is very cool. Can you give us something briefly here, your study of theology and also your experience in embalming? Because I think that that's something that the audience can really groove to, because like you said, expect the unexpected, can't judge a book by its cover. People might not look at you and expect that from you. And to hear that you've got that many layers, I think is just utterly fascinating. So if you could give us something theology and embalming, that would be great. Yeah, well, I grew up in a, at a funeral home. My family owned funeral homes in, in Mexico. So I grew up around it since, since I can remember. I remember that I used to play uh, hide and seek in the caskets. Imagine this as a like nine, <laughs> 10 year old kid playing with your cousin inside the caskets, you know, hide and seek and <laughs> And then it was just normal for us, you know, being Fancy. able to... Were you a big undertaker because of it? Yeah, in a sense I was. And I, you know, by the age of 14, I already knew how to embalm. And I I used to drive the, the limo, you know, with the family. I used to drive the hearse, do the funeral, everything. So at a young age, I started doing that with my grandfather. I, I learned how to drive when I was like 13 years old. You know, my grandfather taught me how to do that because, you know, I was I was part of the business. You know, we all, we had the family business, so... Then I was able to do that at a young age. You know, I never had a, in a way, I looked at it as, as a job in a way. So a lot of people would ask me, what do you think? You know, 
is, is it hard to do that? But I don't know. I grew up around it, so, so for me, in a sense, it was normal. And then, then when I went to, uh, I studied geology when I was about 24 years old. I went to Monterrey. I went to a school called Christ of the Nations, Cristo para las Naciones. And uh, uh, my 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 plan during that time in my li- my life was to become like a, an evangelist or a missionary, somebody that would help people, you know, young people to to love God and achieve their goals. And so that's that's why I went to study mainly theology for that. Well, Sankara, this has been a, a pleasure to really go behind the mask, uh, go on in your career. The uh, the the great collection that's coming out is October 13th, Foot Locker and Reebok with the classic WWE footwear and apparel collection honoring the late, great Eddie Guerrero for Hispanic Heritage Month. It's been great talking to you. On the way out here, I just want to hit you up with one. There was some, you know, headlines that were made last year. You and Chris Jericho outside of the ring dusted up a little bit. He may have bit your finger. We don't know. But then he wore the Sankara mask on Raw. That seemed to patch it all up. Are we all good here now? To be honest, it's, you know, people make a lot of fuss of certain things, and you know how with the internet and everything. But me and Jericho are great friends. You know, we, we I remember I used to watch him. You know, I admire him. You know, he was at in, in that era with Eddie, with Eddie, with Hubi, and all those guys. So, so all I have is respect for him. But you know, always people make a big fuss of certain things. Even if you if you talk to somebody, if you have a little argument, they just make a big deal out of it. But no, we're we're good friends. We we talk, you know, and and. And when that when that happened, when he put my mask on, actually he he uh, he came up to me and he asked me if he could wear the mask, and I said, yeah, yeah, I feel I'll be honored if you wear it to do that segment and and raw. So so that's what it all came about, you know. It was just showing the people that there was nothing going on, that it was just more talk than what people said, and and we're fine, you know. It, not, not, nothing wrong. <laughs> Great to hear. Well, that created a fun viral moment. It's been a pleasure to talk to you, Sinkara. Best of luck moving forward. You, you, you got some big fans in this household. I'm sure in a lot of households around the world. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you, man. Appreciate it, guys.